Welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz. And today we have with us Dave Foster, the founder and CEO at The 1031 Investor. Dave, how you doing? Hey, thank you. It's great to be here, Dan. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Doing great. Glad to have you on the show. Couldn't be better timing to discuss some pretty important things in the real estate industry. But before we do that, I want to get to know you a little bit. So if you could, please tell our viewers, who is Dave Foster? Ah, see, Dave Foster is one of those guys that firmly believes there's never a bad time to talk about real estate. <laughs> I've been a junkie for decades. Um, yeah, I'm a degreed accountant who hates paying taxes and realized a long time ago that I have a silent partner whose name is Uncle Sam. So my goal in life has been to minimize my silent partner's earnings on my portfolio, <laughs> and I help clients do that as well. Awesome. Let's jump into it. Tell us what a 1031 exchange is. Sure. So it is part of the tax code. And by the way, I want to start by saying it is not a loophole. Loopholes are things you do that are wrong. And it was really interesting. I was talking to a, a fairly high-level tax economist the other day, and he said, Dave, people think of the tax code as ways for the IRS to make money. And that's really not what it is. The tax code exists to encourage certain behaviors. So section 1031, when you think about it as a method of encouraging behavior, is designed to help investors sell investment real estate and reinvest in new real estate. And their reward for doing that is that they don't have to pay tax on the profit that they normally would have. So it's a way to indefinitely defer payment of tax and leave that money in your hands to invest for your benefit. That's the behavior that the IRS is looking for. Awesome. Great explanation. So tell us when and why one would use a 1031 exchange. Yeah, well, certainly anytime there's property that you you have that you're contemplating selling, that has either been highly appreciated or through the use of tax write-offs has been highly depreciated. If you sell it, there's going to be a gain on that. And if you don't want to pay the tax on that gain, then that's when you do the 1031 exchange. Now, the why was really summed up by Albert Einstein a bunch of decades ago when he called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. And the rest of his quote was, those who understand it will benefit. Those who don't will pay for it. And that's really what the 1031 is. It's a way of letting those tax dollars work for you to make more profit, to then defer that tax, to then make more profit. And so you're compounding the earnings off of your career. Now, and we don't have this up or time for it today, but we actually do an Excel spreadsheet example where we can show you that in four transactions over the course of an investor's life, that two investors, one who pays the tax as they go, and one who leaves the tax and does the 1031s, there will be an almost $8 million difference in how much real estate the taxpayer owns at the end of the game who lets the deferred tax work for him. Wow, That's how crazy compound interest is. And that, that's assuming what level of initial investment and what appreciation rate? So we took 
everything identical and used a 5% appreciation rate because I'm an account who's bad at math. So 5% is easy to understand. And we, and we did four transactions, five years as the starting one where there was a $100,000 gain. And all they did was they invested their net proceeds. One of them had $20,000 more than the other, right? After sure. the first transaction. They sold their properties at five years, at 10 years, and then at 20 years. And in those three transactions, the difference in what the investor who did the 1031s had in order to make a down payment was that much more significant. There you have it, the power of compounded interest. Said well. Talk to us about the six requirements of any exchange. Uh, well, like anything, the tax code itself is two pages that nobody can understand. And it's confused even more by 8,000 pages of attorney's notes. <laughs> so in a nutshell, these are very rigid. Every one of them has to be met. Now, some of them are a little more nuanced and complicated than others, but it's the process you got to go through. And I'll start with them, probably the most important one. And that's the requirement that you use a qualified intermediary. Mm -hmm. This is an unrelated third party whose only role is to act as your guide to document the 1031 and to process the proceeds from sale to purchase. That's the most important relationship, their job to keep you straight with the other five. So that's the most important. We're talking only about real estate that's being held for investment. And any kind of investment real estate can be exchanged for any other kind. So it's a great opportunity. You know, Dan, you've got a ton of clients that love to change sectors depending on where the market is, what the market's speaking to them. Sure. It's time to get out of multifamily, moving into commercial. Time to get out of commercial, start looking at raw land. That all qualifies because it's all investment real estate. Now, there's a couple timing requirements, um, and they make it difficult to make things happen. So they need someone like you who's really going to be on the ball helping them find properties. Yeah. From the day you close your sale, you've got 45 days only to identify your potential replacements. You have a total of 180 days to close. So it's a very tight time frame to make it happen. And the IRS does not give you personal extensions. So that uh, that takes us to where? Um, title requirements. So whatever entity or taxpayer it is who is selling the old property has to be the same taxpayer who is purchasing the new property. But any taxpaying entity, C-Corp, Subchapter S, LLC, trust can do 1031 exchanges. That's what makes it so powerful. So it's easy to couple that with combinations of individuals and with certain estate planning practices and with liability mitigation practices. And of course, the final requirement, I know we're blazing through these, but pick the ones you want, we'll circle back on them. Of course, the final one is, well, Dave, what do I have to spend? There's a two-part rule if you want to defer all tax. And the first part of that rule is that you need to purchase at least as much as your net sale. So if you sell a property for $1.2 million and there's 10% closing costs, commissions, concessions, etc., 1.1 is your net sale. That's how much you have to purchase to defer all tax. If there's 
$600,000 in mortgage on that, you're left with $500,000 that goes into your exchange account. Mm -hmm. So your goal to defer all tax would be to buy $1.1 million using all $500,000 in proceeds. Again, this although this seems complicated, this is one of my favorite uh, rules in the deal because it allows you so much freedom to shape your portfolio because the IRS lets you spend that 500000 any way that you want. Mm -hmm. So you've got to buy 1.1, but if you're feeling like the market's scaring me, I want to get some chips off the table, I want to lower my my uh, mortgage risk, go buy one property for 500000 in cash or 400000 in cash, I should say, and then take the other 100000 and use that as a down payment on another property so that you can still get to the 1.1 total. But now you've got two properties, which is a diversification exchange. Mm -hmm. One of those properties has no risk from leverage. Right. All you got to do is adjust the rents to keep the lights on. <laughs> the other property, though, you're still getting the maximum benefit from the arbitrage of interest. So just one of those little strategies. But that's the six in a nutshell. There you go. Awesome. It's Appreciate much easier it. to state them. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. bet. So talk to us about the portfolio impacts of investing with and without a 1031 exchange. Uh, get, go a little further with me. What, uh, what you're looking for in that? Yeah. What so like by, if, by portfolio if, impacts? So let's say that an investor owns a portfolio of properties. They have an opportunity to sell them with or without a 1031 exchange. Maybe some properties are owned in the same entity. Maybe some have multiple owners. Talk to us about maybe a little bit more of the complexities. Oh, man. Yeah, the opportunities are limitless at that point. First of all, remember what we're doing is selling real estate and buying real estate. So if you as an investor own different parcels of real estate that happen to be deeded and are reported by different entities, you can still combine those exchanges in what is called a consolidation exchange. So you take those two properties. Let's say you've got two LLCs, LLC L and LLC A and LLC B, and they each own a five hundred thousand dollar property. You could sell those two properties and combine the exchange of A with the exchange of B to go purchase one property where each one of those LLCs owns 50% mm. of it as a tenant in common. So it's a great way to shift your portfolio that way. Another way to make portfolios work with you is that you can sell as a portfolio and treat the sale of maybe a dozen properties as one 1031 exchange. So you've got the opportunity to do that. But I think perhaps the most profitable exercise, and I know this is where you guys live and how you can deal with your clients, is to take that portfolio and say, you know, maybe there are some in here that need to be 1031 because they've got the greatest amount of depreciation. They've got the highest amount of debt, which means I'll be selling them and I need the 1031 or I'm going to have to come out of pocket. And maybe they've got less gain or more gain, I'm sorry, more, than right. some others. Well, those you would cherry pick off and do a 1031. But then maybe there's some others where there is incredibly high equity, but incredibly low gain and depreciation. And in that event, 
those might be the ones that you sell without a 1031 because you're freeing up the greatest amount of liquid cash sure. for the least amount of tax. And then you can use that for capital improvements on other properties, put it in the war chest for purchases later. Anything like that? Does that? Yeah, that that's, that's awesome. And you what know, you a l- little light bulb went off in my head. You mentioned before uh, when an, an, a single investor has two LLCs and they both sell a property, you can consolidate and do a combined exchange where both are now tenants in common with the, the up-leg property, the property that is now uh, replacing the old properties. Can individual investors do that? Let's say that I own a property and you own a property, and we know we want to buy a third property together. Can we do a combined exchange that way? Oh, absolutely. The key is the tenancy in common. Right. Because all that means is that you own a piece of property and I own a piece of property and our properties just happen to be a smaller percentage of the same larger property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that, Dan, is that then later down the road, when you discover my gambling problem or whatever, we're able to separate at the sale. And now you can go do your own 1031 and I can pay my alimony or whatever. And so you've got the maximum freedom to be able to craft that as opposed to say an LLC or an LP structure where there's multiple members, but because the entity itself is the taxpayer, the entity has to do this, the 1031. Sure. And so everybody has to stay together. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, can you talk to us about some common issues that come up in 1031 exchanges and how to avoid them? Sure. I would say that the single biggest issue that faces people today is the timing. 45 days is just not much time. But see, there's a, there's, I call it the poison pill of 1031 investing. The best time to sell your property and do a 1031 exchange is the worst time to try and buy a property sure. and finish an exchange, seller's market. But it doesn't matter. You're going to have to swallow this pill either way yeah. because the best time to buy a property and finish an exchange is going to be the toughest time to sell it, yep. which is a buyer's market. So you kind of have to adjust your mindset and expectations and so that you realize that although I may be paying more than I think I should, at times, I'm still going to buy good properties at market values or better if I can negotiate. Because I sold my property to some fool for way more than it's worth. And yeah, that's so you've got to adjust your expectations of that. But when you do that sale at the closing, you've got 45 days to identify, and that's it. Yep. Day 46, your list goes set. So the biggest mistake I see people doing is not being focused early, knowing the market, knowing the sector, having your eye on a bunch of properties early are all things that are going to help you. And as a matter of fact, probably more than half of our clients right now will have their new property under contract before their old property closes. Especially if you're dealing with commercial properties, you can have a very long LOI and contingency periods. Sure. So you get that property under contract and you've still got contingency outs so that if your new, if your old property doesn't sell, you can take advantage of it. But I would say that's probably the single biggest issue that's out there other than people wanting to take money off the table. 
because everybody wants to take profits, right? Sure. What's the fun in investing in real estate if I don't get to take the Alaska trip? So the way to do that, though, when you're a 1031 investor is to do full 1031s. And then immediately after that, refinance that property. Like, remember our example of taking the two, the one was debt free. Mm -hmm. Well, after you complete the 1031, do a cash out refinance of that property. Pull the money out. Yeah. But now the money has no timeline stigma. Right. You can use it for anything that you want. And meanwhile, guess who's paying the mortgage? My tenants. That's right. So it's a great gig to do that. Awesome. Well, hey, we've got about a minute left. I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the future of the 1031 exchange. Uh, oh, gosh, I put my great Karnak hat on. You know what? As long as Congress can't even decide who's going to park their Tesla where, I'm not too worried about them getting anything done. But the bottom line is every president that I have been under during my career doing this for 22 years has threatened to take it away. And every one of them has not because the benefit of 1031 as an economic stimulator, as a hedge against macroinflation, is massive. Yep. And they all come to their senses. So personally, I think it was a let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And I think we're going to see 1031 still come out. There you go. Hashtag save the 1031. And that brings me to the point, uh, if uh, anyone's watching this, okay, keep in mind you have an awesome opportunity here in the United States of America. Reach out to your Congress people, to your representatives. Tell them, save the 1031 because it's very important. Guys like myself, guys like Dave, so many people benefit from it. The whole country benefits from it. Listen, Dave Foster, founder and CEO of the 1031 Exchange. Investor, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It was awesome being with you. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm Dan Lukowitz. This has been another great episode of Dan on Top. Stay tuned in, and we'll see you soon.